This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Podcasts. Good afternoon. Bear down, baby. Yes, Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Hall. There has been a lot in what promises to be a busy offseason, whether it's speculation over the number one draft pick and Justin Fields being traded or the execution of the closing on the land in Arlington Heights. And Dan Weeder. The 2023 Bears are made for the offseason. They are a dream in terms of content, in terms of debates, in terms of talking points, in terms of developments. We're just getting started. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. I'm David Haw from the Mullen Haw Show on 670 The Score. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune joining us today, as he always does. And Dan, we've got a great pod ahead. But as we sit here, it's less than a week before the draft. Things are heating up. Rumors are flying. <laughs> Jalen Carter is visiting places. Where would you say the Bears are in terms of are you hearing anything, leaning one way or another? What's the best and latest, juiciest rumor that you've heard concerning the Bears? Look, I don't have any juicy rumors for you. I apologize for not coming to the table a little bit more equipped on that front. I just know that we are now in the home stretch of this and that Ryan Poles is ready to attack this draft. Uh, my colleague at the Tribune, Colleen Kane, has is, is just finished up uh, a story that will launch on Sunday in the Tribune about kind of this um, – Fist fight. This is how I describe it. The fist fight between patience and pressure that Ryan Poles has been in the middle of first in the offseason as the owner of the number one pick and making that trade now going into a draft and just kind of feeling the human side of the guy who's running the Bears right now. Try to navigate this world that does have some uh, some choppy seas. It, it, you know, it almost feels like the, the rapids, you know, when you're going down and you're trying to make sure that you don't wind up on the rocks. And so I think that there's a lot at stake. I think Ryan believes very strongly in the team he's got around him. He'd be able believes very strongly in his philosophies as he goes into this. We're going to get to learn a little bit more about that next week when he speaks before the draft. We'll learn a lot more about it when he speaks after each round of the draft. And I just think we're, 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 
nearing now, David, a point where the story of the Chicago Bears actually advances from rumor and speculation to reality. And that reality is going to be absolutely compelling for us to kind of absorb and then interpret. I'm looking forward to seeing how he handles Tuesday's address to the Bears media, just in terms of everybody has an approach and everybody understands that you can't be very forthcoming. But there (laughs) are signs sometimes or hints that are dropped along the way. And I think he will be asked about his rationale and his thought process process as it pertains to Jalen Carter, especially because of I think he's as compelling and as polarizing of a prospect as is in the first round of this draft and where he goes is going to be maybe uh, indicative of how the rest of the first round goes. I don't know if he's going to be the key figure uh, as much as I maybe did a couple weeks ago, but he visited the Lions. They have had their kind of impressions of him. He's visited other teams, and I think how Ryan Poles addresses that conundrum, if you will, is going to be somewhat telling, even if he's not telling the truth. Look, Jalen Carter and the four quarterbacks are the key pieces of of which direction this thing's going to go in the first two hours of Thursday night, and it's going to be really interesting to watch. To your point, I think as reporters, you walk into that pre-draft press conference every year understanding that you're most likely going to take an L in terms of getting substantive information, but it doesn't stop you from trying to uh, find a way to glean a little bit of insight or, or, or a gut feeling or just something, reading body language, interpreting the way something is Said to try to to help you understand the direction of a franchise. I know Rich Campbell and I used to spend a, you know almost a, a few hours the day before that that presser trying to figure out is there a way we can ask question A that somehow gets you into the mind of the general manager who's going to be in that position hiding his cards, making sure he doesn't say anything that can be used against him, making sure he doesn't tip off what the what the draft board upstairs looks like. And so it's a little bit of a, a fun chess game to try and play and to, t- to try to squeeze something out of on what Tuesday th- next week. What do you think the deepest position is in this draft? Look, when you talk to people in the league, that there's a strong sentiment that there hasn't been a tight end class this strong in forever. Right. Not that that necessarily marries up with where the Bears are at, but that's that's a general consensus that you got some really good players at the top and then some really good players into day three. You hear also that the edge rusher class has some some sneaky depth to it. And that is why I've kind of as we've gotten closer and closer to draft night thought man, offensive tackle might be the place where you want to shop first if you're the Bears because of the drop-off there, right? Because they're, they're, there's a sentiment that these four offensive tackles, uh, you know, Peter Skaronsky and Paris Johnson and Darnell Wright and Broderick Jones, then you have a, a big drop-off before you get to the next one. And so maybe you need to address that first with a faith that the depth at another position of need, like edge rusher, like someone who rushed a quarterback, is going to be there. And you can get a day two or a day three guy that can help you in a way uh, in a way that's more valuable than waiting on an offensive tackle on day two. So so that's kind of kind of the, the, the short of that. We know the guys at the top of the draft is edge rushers. We had a segment on the Mullen Haw show earlier this week about sleepers at yeah. edge rusher. And you know who I liked? Tell me. The edge rusher from the Mid-American Conference <laughs> and Eastern Michigan, Jose Ramirez, who is very similarly built like another former Mac pass rusher that the Bears got to know very well, Khalil Mack. So I'm not saying he's going to be the next Khalil Mack. But I do think the Bears, who, by the way, went back to the MAC last year to get a pass rusher, Dominic Robinson, could do that once again. Well, 
we know your uh, affection for the Mac, certainly. <laughs> and that's uh, certainly going to show itself again and, and throughout. I, I like that you have a sleeper, uh, a guy there. And, and give me the name again so I can star him on my sheet. Jose Ramirez. OK, <laughs> he is an outside linebacker type edge rusher, 6'2", 252. That sound familiar? He's got a little bit of a burst. I could read you all his strengths, but um, as like this one diversifies the direction of his rush is not just an outside speed rusher. He has a spin move. Despite his smaller size, he makes a considered effort against the run. I like it. Sounds like a good scouting report. Let's bring him in and then we'll, we'll do the full vetting on him. I'll tell you a couple guys, you know, obviously I'm a, a guy who, uh, as we've documented more than once, uh, gravitates towards playmaking receivers at times. And so I'm going to give you three guys that, you know, could last till the Bears are picking in the middle of the late part of round two, uh, could last, you know, even into day three. And so you've got Jaden Reed at Michigan State. Okay. A lot of buzz about what he can be as a pro. Josh Downs from North Carolina caught a lot of passes from Drake May this past year and has something to him. That's a, there's a little sizzle there that, that that's fun to watch. And then Andre Yoshivas, put that name down, a Princeton guy. I know you were uh, big in the Princeton basketball team. If you can veer your lens a little bit over to the football field at Princeton, you might have a guy there that could come I in. Give and, me the name again us. because if they draft him, I'm going to wear an orange T-shirt that I got for the Princeton's Sweet 16 appearance in honor of Blake Peters. I will put on my orange T-shirt for that episode if they draft your guy. Andre Yoshivas. I, I don't know if I know much about his football background, but I'm betting he's an econ major. Bigger guy, has a chance to, to make some plays. There's a lot of uh, optimism in certain circles about, about the developmental potential. Uh, so there you go. Last thing before we get to Brian Baldinger, uh, a little tease for people. If they go to chicagotribune.com and they do click on your deep dive into the most recent drafts going back to, what, 2000. In two, 2002, 2002, and evaluating all the general managers and the picks. 21 drafts, four general managers, 159 players selected by the Bears since Jerry Angelo took over that post in 2002. And Brad Biggs and I kind of went into the project just trying to identify what a realistic batting average is by round for the Chicago Bears as they head into a draft next week where you know you're not going to bat 1,000, right? That's, if there's anything proven about draft history, it's that batting 1,000 is not possible. And so where do you set the bar? What is a successful draft like for the Chicago Bears? We did that by, by examining the last 21 drafts and 159 players, classifying guys as either hits or misses. If they were a hit, were they an extra base hit, a double, triple, or home run? If they were a miss, were they a whiff? And going through and looking at that, you can tell me what you thought when you when you first put, laid eyes on that for the first time. Uh, I think it was a, a, a jarring experience to see the number of times, particularly in rounds one and two, that the Bears thought they had something that they didn't actually have. And then it was the year years that they actually did have something that they actually had in those positions and then built on it with multiple drafts in a row where you go, oh, okay, so that was the catalyst that put them on the road to the playoffs, that put them on the road to the Super Bowl. And now how do you kind of replicate that if you're Ryan Poles by just understanding that you can't afford whiffs and you better be able to find extra base hits at all levels of the draft? What stood out to me in your guys' research was that really how well the Bears had done in the second rounds and the fourth rounds which I thought that you could really have uh, guys, and there's isolated examples in every round, which are hits, certainly Lance Briggs in the third, and and there's some fifth rounders of, of some note. But I think the second and the fourth stood out to me 
in terms of success and the lack of success at hitting on first-round picks, which I think un- explains a lot of why the Bears have struggled to the extent that they have struggled. Yeah, I mean, you read those first-round names and you almost feel the punch to the gut again. You know, and you go, oof, oof, oof. That's how we are where we are. I'll just read this for our audience because they can maybe write this down and have it by their TV on draft weekend next week. This is what we laid out in terms of, and this was, um, you know, educated information gathering by us talking to folks. Uh, it originated for me in Minnesota with George Payton and, and Rick Spielman, who were at the top of the front office there, and we've kind of evolved over time molding it. But this, in round one, if you have a top 10 pick, you're looking for a long-term starter, a big-time impact player, and a multiple-time pro bowler or all-pro. If you're picking 11 through 32, you're looking for an immediate starter, significant production for a half decade or longer. Round two, immediate contributor, hopeful starter by the end of his rookie season, a building block core piece for the long-term consistent production. Rounds three and four, a longer runway for emerging, eventual contributor, hopefully breaks through at some point as a starter with proper development. Rounds five and six, that's where you're getting your reliable depth pieces, a valuable special teams contributor, or someone who fills a very specific role or niche. A couple punters in there that the Bears found in round six or seven that that ended up being hits for them. And round seven, if you get anything, David, out of a round seven prospect, it's considered a hit. That's the part of the draft where you can take some dice rolls, understanding that the the reward will always outweigh the risk. And so uh, that's it. Like, that's kind of a a framework to understand what you're actually trying to achieve at different stages of the draft. It's great stuff. It's worth every Bears fan's time, and it can be found on chicagotribune.com. You want to check it out. You want to relive some of those past eh, glorious drafts (laughs) and some of the past eh, not-so-glorious drafts, but it is definitely great reading material after your nice job with you and Brad. All right, Dan, it's time to bring in our special guest. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Take the North podcast. David Haw, Dan Wiederer here. You can get us on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And now it is our pleasure to bring in the Odyssey NFL insider, Brian Baldinger. Baldy and his in the huddle co-host, Jason Lockenfora, hosting the Odyssey NFL draft show Thursday, April 27th, 6 p.m. Central through the entirety of the first round. Looking forward to joining you guys on that show. It'll be streaming live on the Odyssey app and the Odyssey Sports YouTube page. Leading up to the draft, check out Baldy's prospect breakdowns by listening to In the Huddle wherever you get your podcast. Baldy, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. You know, um, I'm here in Fort Lauderdale. I'm looking at a beautiful scene outside my window here. And um, I can't think of anything better to do, honestly. <laughs> well, maybe happy hour. But beside that, uh, talk NFL draft. I'm, I'm, I'm plugged in. I'm ready to go. 
Well, you know, the Bears here in Chicago have moved down from the first to the ninth pick, and that has created uh, a lot of great inf- great topics. Is it all offseason, the Bears have been relevant in free agency. They have been relevant in this conversation before this draft. Let's just start there with, with Dan and I, you know, obviously talking all the time about what they should do, what they shouldn't do. If you're Ryan Poles and you have moved down from one to nine, what is your mentality? You know this team as well as anybody, Baldy, from following it. You know they're coming off a 14-loss season. What is your mindset going into this draft if you're Ryan Poles? You know, it's first of all, I mean, what Ryan did was was brilliant, but it, it, it took a perfect year. You know, they didn't want to be the number one pick, but they had the number one pick, and they had a team that wanted to be the number one pick, Carolina. And so I, I said way before the, the thing happened, the best team to trade with was Carolina because you're going to get the biggest bounty, and they did. Uh, DJ Moore is a great player. Extra picks, uh, et cetera. Okay, so, like, I just feel like you have to keep building around Justin. Like, I believe in Justin Fields. I know a lot of people. I hear all this stuff. I believe in him. I believe him as a player and as a person. So I got to keep building around him, all right? And what does that mean? Does that mean, like, just more weapons, better offensive line? I think it does. You know, and then, but they have enough artillery to start addressing the defense. They did it last year, obviously, with the two defensive backs. Um, they played a prominent role, but, you know, they've got to get better. Um, you know, they, they paid a lot for linebackers. They got to get better up front, you know, defensively. Everybody knows that. And so you can't have Jaquan Brisker as your leading sacker uh, this year. So, like, to me, it's build around Justin Fields and improve your defensive line. Those would be the two priorities. And I think, you can do both those things in this draft. Baldy, I think there's a, a consensus here in Chicago that building around Justin Fields and building your offensive line are two things that have to happen in the next week. It seems to be a, a four-player discussion at offensive tackle in that in that range that will be available to the Bears at nine. You've got Skaronsky, you've got Paris Johnson, you've got uh, Broderick Jones, and you've got Darnell Wright. Of that quartet, who do you like the most? Who's the guy that, that, that jumps off the video to you? Darnell. Darnell Wright does. Yeah, he's a natural right tackle. He's a mauler. He started 42 games at Tennessee. Just go back and watch any of these games. Watch him against Trayvon Walker. Watch him this year at left tackle. Watch him at right tackle this year against Will Anderson. Watch him against the elite players in college football. Watch him just go eliminate him and, you know, and shut him out. And then you just watch his how he moves bodies. His power is real. His base is good. Um you know, everybody needs to be coaching his business. It's a different game at the NFL than it is in college football. But I think there's an awful lot to like from his size to his movement, to his power, to his mentality, to his experience. Um, you know, I just feel like wherever he goes, just plug him and play him at right tackle. Like, I think that's his natural spot. Is that a clear-cut win for you, or is, is one of those other guys really close with him? I mean, look, I think Skaronsky is a guard. Like, he just moves like a guard to me, you know? Like, he just he, – he doesn't dance on the edge like some of these tackles do. But he probably can play tackle. They, they said Rashawn Slater would probably be a better guard. Well, he was as good a tackle as he was in football that, that freshman year or the rookie year. Um, you know, we've, we've heard the debate over and over. And, you know, uh, Zach Martin was a tackle and Quentin Nelson was a tackle and Brandon Sheriff was a tackle and they all became all pro guards. And I think that's probably what Skaronsky can be. I think he can be a Pro Bowl guard. 
You know, Baldy, we have this conversation because obviously Peter Skronsky, local guy, Maine South High School, Northwestern University. Yeah. We talked to Pat Fitzgerald on the Mullen Haw show, and he's talked about how he would be this this piece that you just wouldn't have to doubt, and he was easy to coach. Let me ask you this though: you two two things come to mind when you would talk about Skronsky. Number one. Because left tackle is a value position, and you have you're one of several people who have talked about him potentially as a guard. Do you stay away from a guy at number nine because of you know, maybe he will be moved inside, and that wouldn't be necessarily worth that spot because it's not necessarily considered a value position? And then explain to me myth versus reality about this short arm discussion. As somebody who played, you know, in the league, what is it about? this measurements and the short arms, because does it matter and why? Well, first of all, I mean, you know, Brandon Sheriff, I think was the fifth pick in the draft and Quentin Nelson was the sixth pick, you know, and Zach Martin was, you know, I think in the top 10 with Dallas, like you take great players where you could get them, you know, whether it's a guard or a tackle. I mean, I don't, I believe that these guys are difference makers, you know, and I think Skaronsky, I mean, he, he was coaching Rayshon Slater when he, Sat out COVID in 2020. He was, you know, coaching him up on the sideline. So, like, there's and, – and he's being trained really well in Dallas by Duke Mannyweather. So, that's that's that. And then, you know, the arm thing is it's, – it's not a myth. Like, it's real. You know, you, you look at, you know, Shaq Leonard playing middle linebacker for the Indianapolis Colts and look at his arm length and look at how many balls he gets his hands on, whether it's tip balls, whether it's, you know, forcing fumbles, whether it's sacks – Arm length is important for any position, defense and offense. But on the offensive line, like, you know, if you can get your hands on guys before they get their hands on you, like, it's just going to be easier to win. You know, it's just going to be easier to control your man. Um, not that, you know, the, the hand thing is changing a lot. It used to be, you know, back when, you know, the Bears were winning the Super Bowls, like, you didn't care what Hilgenberg's arms length were. Like, they were just the, the toughest field. Toughest group on the block. Um, but it, it, it's like we used to just punch, two-handed punch, all that. That's all changed. Now you got guide hands. You got kill hands. Like it's being taught differently in different places. But I still think the length is important. It just is like, especially if you're going up against guys like Tyree Wilson now coming out of the draft, you know, with 36-inch arms and he's stabbing you. And you see it You see it sometimes with Skaronsky. Like he's going up against long guys and he can't physically get his hands on guys because his arm just isn't long enough. Now, he still can drop an anchor. He's still a good enough athlete. He still has good enough feet. His feet are elite that he can still dance and stay in front of you and then eventually get a, a claw on you. But it does make it a lot easier if you got, you know, those 34-inch arms or longer where you can be the one that is stabbing first. So I got a two-part question for you, because obviously in Chicago, we'll be waiting until after 8 o'clock next Thursday night at local time to see who the Bears take. But the draft starts at number one, and the Carolina Panthers have the pick that once belonged to the Bears. If you were Carolina and you were going through this quarterback uh, you know, puzzle that you're putting together, who is it? Who, who, who's the guy for you at number one and why? Like, I've never changed my view of Bryce Young. Like, I, I've been saying – like, I know the knock. Everybody knows the knock. He's 5'10", he's 204 pounds. Okay. It's, he's, he's way short on the, the scale of quarterbacks um, from his frame to his length to – but I think it works to his actually his advantage to be in his size because he's so sudden. 
Um, he's like that boxer in the middle of the ring that can just parry a punch, like without moving very far, like just inches. But he's so sudden. He's got a GPS thing in his head. He doesn't get balls batted down at the line of scrimmage. And he can really throw it from any angle, which we've all seen is really important these days with the rushes and the, the, the way that teams are attacking quarterbacks right now and what you have to be able to do. Like, I feel like he has all that ability to be able to make pinpoint passes from any platform and to be able to just use just sudden quickness to escape, um, you know, the rush from the backside or a free hitter coming from the front side. My second part of that question is, is because the Bears did once own that number one pick, that presented an obligation for them to at least do the homework on this quarterback class. You obviously expressed your belief in, in Justin. If you were Ryan and you were kind of sounding this out with the team you had around you, how do you sort of weigh that number one quarterback in the class, Bryce Young, versus what you have in-house with Justin Fields? And, and what is it that compels you to stay on the path with Justin? Well, I saw improvement last year. I mean, I, look, you know, I don't know what they were doing when they threw him in there against Cleveland, you know, to start his career, like that can ruin a guy, what they did to him that day. Like it was, it was hard. It was hard for all of us to watch that debut. He wasn't ready. And you don't do that against miles Garrett and Jadevian clown. You just don't do that stuff. Anyways, they did it. Okay. He took his licks. All right. I saw Troy Aikman get sacked a ridiculous amount of time in 89. I saw when he came to Philadelphia, I mean, Reggie white company just abused him. But, you know, that was it. Now, he took his licks, and then he just got better. So I saw Justin get better last year. I mean, there was a time early in the year, even San Francisco in that monsoon that they played in, like they literally were ready to punt on third down early last year. Like it would be third and 13. They weren't throwing it. They're running it. They're like, we're going to protect this kid. I, I like what they did. And then by midseason, he's making these splash plays. He's got Detroit on the ropes. He's got Miami on the ropes. Like he's making these plays, and they're all chasing him. And, you know, and, and then he's making some of these throws against Pittsburgh, you know, and you just go, he's coming. He, he's, he's coming along. And I just feel like this is the year that he can make a leap, like a real leap. Like it's just the old fashioned progression. It's not Mahomes and Joe Burrow just hit it, you know, and, and ran with it. He, he needed time. And I felt like the way they brought him on, I feel like he's ready to explode and become like a top 10 level quarterback this year by trusting the protection, better players around him. I like a lot of the things they did offensively to accent him last year. So for all those reasons. Brian, along those lines, there's a school of thought in Chicago, and I think it qualifies under the fantasy football school of thought. But yeah. to surround Justin Fields with the weaponry that might be, you know, make your, your offense a lot more dynamic, Bijan Robinson is a guy that you look at if you're talking about the surest things in the first round, you've got Will Anderson, then he may be going to Bijan Robinson and then everybody else. I don't know if you agree with that, but how tempting might that be if you are Ryan Poles with holes everywhere, but you do have the intrigue of a guy in Bijan Robinson that might be a generational talent? I'm with you. I'm with you. Look, I remember uh, on the opening day of free agency working with LaDainian Tomlinson for the network. And LT said, look, if they want to franchise tag Saquon, why didn't the Bears just go sign him? Like put Saquon behind Justin Fields, upgrade the offensive line, and have a feared rushing attack between those two. And so here you are with Bijan, a younger version of Saquon, maybe a better version, who knows? But 
I'm with you. Like, I feel like the Eagles shouldn't pass on Bijan at 10, go draft a guard at the 30th pick, put keep the best offense line of football, help out your $51 million quarterback, keep the offense elite, and just, you know, keep marching and make sure you keep putting up the points that they put up last year. But you could take that same philosophy with the Bears, and I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong to do that. And I'm not necessarily the guy that wants to take running backs in the first round because of the injury history, but I might be willing to do it right now just because I know how much it could help everybody in Chicago, especially Justin Fields right now. Just as an extension of that, I haven't found anyone in the league that sets Bijan Robinson's floor at anything lower than highly productive standout running back, right? Safe pick, certainly productive. When you watch him, what are the things that kind of give you that adrenaline rush? Well, he does have like, you know, one step suddenness. Like I was just watching him against Iowa State and he made this cut and he just saw it so fast. And then he made another cut after the cut to make two defenders miss in the open field. And you go, okay, that's what we saw Brees Hall do last year. You know, but this is probably bigger, stronger, faster than Brees. Okay. And Brees was on his way to being the rookie of the year before he tore his ACL. And that's why teams are hesitant to take running backs. Brees probably wins the rookie of the year last year, rookie offensive player of the year, if he doesn't tear that ACL. So that's what you see. Now, look, I could also say go watch him against TCU in Alabama. And on 33 carries, he gained 86 yards. And a bunch of those carries, he didn't gain a yard. And you go, okay, look pedestrian. All right, go get me Jameer Gibbs. Go get me, you know, Israel Abanaconda. Go get me another guy. Like, I don't want me to spend. So you can you can make the case if you just want to say, okay, two best teams he played against last year, he wasn't elite. But everybody else, like, he ran through them and around them. So – Brian, when you talk about Jalen Carter, he visited Detroit on Thursday, and Brad Holmes said after that visit that, yeah, he may have changed his thinking about Jalen Carter based on some of the things that he said, based on how the visit went. I don't frankly know what else a general manager might say publicly except for something positive like that, so you take that into context and consideration. But I wonder, if you're the Lions at six, the Seahawks at five, maybe the Falcons, I think – that he might be off the board by the time the Bears draft at nine. And I do also believe this and curious what you think. The risk reward calculus is different for every team in the draft based on their depth chart, based on their recent history. Where would you be with Jalen Carter if you're Ryan Poles as you approach this draft on Thursday? Well, look, I mean, if he gets past Seattle and Detroit, teams of great need for a player of his talent, something's not right. It's just not right. Because if you just look at him talent-wise and you go, okay, who's the recent comps? Like, he's bigger, stronger, faster than Quentin Williams. Yeah. Quentin Williams was a dominant defensive tackle for the Jets last year. He's a bigger, more athletic version of Jeffrey Simmons, who Tennessee just gave $100 million to. You know, and now – and Simmons has been an awesome player. And that front in Tennessee has been elite for the last four years. Now it kind of crumbled last year with injuries. Harold Landry went down, Bud Dupree, like, okay, crumb. But there was a four-year window there where Simmons was the lead dog of that group. So that's what you're looking at. You're looking at that type of talent. I mean, those are two recent players that, you know, Quinnen's going to get paid $100 million to uh, when, when his time comes up. And that's what Jalen Carter can be. But if he gets past Seattle and Detroit, and, and even the Raiders, who desperately need an interior force, I, you know, that's how I want to build my defense. I want an animal on the inside. And, you know, Tennessee and the Jets 
along with Kansas City. I mean, you go through Javon Hargrave and Philadelphia, now San Francisco. Like, everybody's looking for that animal inside that could push the pocket, make things better for the edge, shut down the run. Like, that's what he should be. But if he's dropping, teams aren't comfortable with whether it's off the field or just the, you know, whatever burns inside of him. You know, hopefully it burns hot. But if it doesn't, these teams are pretty adroit at figuring that out. What would be the biggest things that would impact your comfort level, knowing what the tape looks like? What would be the biggest things that would make you a little bit hesitant or uncomfortable? Well, you look, I, I mean, it's, Georgia is a different – like I, w- I was on the phone with the general manager today, and I was just saying, like, look, Kirby Smart is smarter than all of us put together, obviously. Like, you know, what he's doing in college football is he's revolutionizing it. But it's also frustrating to evaluate players in that scheme. Because, you know, one play, Nolan Smith, he's, you know, he's he's basically contained rushing. They got some crazy blitz coming, and it's getting home. But Jalen Carter's not rushing. He's, like, dropping. He's doing something crazy. <laughs> you just go, I just want to see these guys rush. You know, let me just go watch them. You know, I, I, you know every once in a while I'll see Jalen Carter just, you know, set and just club somebody into the middle next week. And you go, that's what I want to see, you know. But, but then you see – all right, maybe because they've got, you know, first-round picks everywhere these last two seasons, maybe don't feel like you got to go make that play on the other side of the field the way you want to go see a guy make a play on the other side of the field, you know. And so that would be – that it's, it's frustrating to study guys from Georgia, and then sometimes the, the effort that you want to see, you don't see, and that would be a concern. Brian, the last one from me. So I think there's a consensus that Will Anderson from Alabama would be the best edge rusher available. If you agree with that, who's the second best edge rusher available? A guy that might still have a very productive NFL career, be a great draft pick for whoever gets him, but isn't quite Will Anderson. Well, look, Will Anderson, I mean, he's got to think about this now. Not many guys do this, but he goes to Tuscaloosa. Day one, he starts. And he literally starts 41 straight games. And he almost never comes off the field. Like, you just don't see that, you know. But he did that in the SEC. Now, you know, Adrian Peterson did that at Oklahoma. Like, there's just some guys that come in and they dominate day one at age 18. Like, Will did that. So that's why he's my number one guy. But if you looked at, like, Nolan Smith, for example, like, like 439 is 439. But, you know, you know his, his, his comps, okay, with all these measurables – Believe it or not, it's Saquon Barkley. Like his short shuttle, his you know vertical leap, like his power is Saquon at defensive end. And 238, you know, he benches over 400 pounds. He cleans almost four. Like he's a rocked up, twitched up, violent player. You watch him on kickoff return, like kickoff return, drill somebody into the bench. <laughs> and the next play, take the running back for a four-yard loss. Like he's – if he's used – I'm not, I don't want to compare anybody to Micah Parsons. He's just a different animal in this business. But, like, you see some of that in what he can do. And you just go, let me get my hands on this guy. Let me get my hands on him. Let me figure out the defense. Let's Like, because he could be Hassan Reddick, who had 19 sacks last year. You know, that's probably his best comp, you know, a defensive end outside linebacker right now. 
We'll cut you loose after this one. I'm going to ask you a question that Ryan Pace used to always ask his scouts early in the pre-draft process, and it just kind of gets to your heart of when you're watching these guys. Who is your favorite player in this draft? It could be somebody that's going to be picked in the top 10, or it could be somebody that's a, a day three guy in round four that just when you turn on the film, there's something about it that, that, that makes you sit up a little straighter. Are you guys in Chicago right now? Yes. So how far is Chicago to Champaign? About two hours. Two hours, it, yeah. Two hours? I've made the trip before. It's two hours. I'd go two hours south to watch Devin Witherspoon. Okay. Like he's that that guy plays defensively, he just plays different than everybody else in this whole draft. Like I haven't seen a corner hit like that. I haven't seen a corner, I haven't seen a corner read routes the way he read routes. Like he's just a different type of player, man. Like he's he just looks special to me the way he plays the game. That's a great one, and that gives us a lot to think about in terms of what exactly the Bears would do if he's still on the board at number nine because of what you said. And anybody that has watched the Illini, look, and, you know, look, and yeah. to your point here, Dave, like, honestly, I, I understand Jalen Johnson and Kyler Gordon, and, you know, you, you could say we're pretty set. But, man, if I could get <laughs> Devin Witherspoon, I'd figure it all out. Like, whoever goes inside goes inside, but I maybe it's Gordon. But I, I would – if I could get my hands on that guy – like, it would be a real conversation. <laughs> Baldy, this has been great. I really appreciate your insight yeah. and your time. We look forward to talking to you down the road and seeing how this all shakes out. My pleasure, guys. Anytime, man. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Brian Baldinger, the Odyssey NFL insider, joining us here on the Take the North podcast. And a reminder to everyone out there that Baldy and his In the Huddle co-host, Jason Lockenfora, hosting the Odyssey NFL Draft Show Thursday, April 27th, 6 p.m. Central, through the entirety of the first round. It'll be streaming live on the Odyssey app and Odyssey Sports YouTube page. Leading up to the draft, check out Baldy's prospect breakdowns by listening to In the Huddle wherever you get your podcasts. And I will join them on draft night after they begin the 6 p.m. Central show. I'll join them after the Bears pick to give my insight, reaction, and analysis. Uh, Whatever time that may be, I'll be joining the in the huddle, co-host Jason Lockenfora and Brian Baldinger. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. That was a lot of fun, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I love the answer to the last question. And and one of the reasons I like asking that question periodically, David, is because you you saw the almost the emotional response that Baldy had and the passion that he spoke with (laughs) Devin Witherspoon. You know, it comes out, you know, and sometimes you feel that and you go, okay, all right. You know, and he's got my attention now on that discussion because of the the passion. Which which prospect would make him sit up? And he sat up and he said, (laughs) Devin Witherspoon. And it's interesting because. Let's talk about that for a moment. Devin Witherspoon is six feet, 181 pounds, but he hits like a strong safety. He will come at you with the aggressiveness of a middle linebacker. And what Baldy also has said about Devin Witherspoon that that I know in the past I've seen the instinctive ability to read routes and to anticipate makes him 
just that split second faster. So regardless of what he runs, and he's fast enough, that gives him a little bit of an edge. So he's jumping routes, he's reading coverage, he's reading you know quarterbacks, and then he gets there and he's in a bad mood. With so ill intent, yeah. Yeah, he's, that's a great combination for a cornerback. Jason Leeser of the Sun-Times gives me a lot of grief because he, he has classified me as a guy who really loves juice. And I didn't realize how overt I was about my, my love of juice. I actually gave our travel baseball team last year juice stickers after games to the guy who, who brought the most extra to the table that afternoon. So I do love juice. And Devin Witherspoon is one of those guys that has the juice. You hear Baldy talk about it. I think you would say it. B. John Robinson has the juice and, th- and that you've got, you know, a Nolan Smith and the way he, t- he talked about him, you say there's some juice there. It starts to get you excited for what's going to happen next Thursday night. The bears with this number nine pick can justify just about anything they do in a way that is going to generate hope. And then Ryan Poles is going to get up on the dais and he's going to explain why the bears feel so hopeful about it. And at least for four months, the entire city is going to ride that, 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 you know, 50 foot wave of hope into training camp and into the preseason feeling like we got our guy. Two things I think are worth reinforcing based on what Brian Baldinger said, at least to me, number one, Bijan Robinson might be, in your words and analogy, a juice that's worth the squeeze, right? Because <laughs> this is a guy that is special, and he would be somebody who would galvanize the city behind this pick. He would be somebody that would re-energize Bears fans if they need to, to, to be re-energized. I think people are excited already, but you get the point. So I think that Bijan Robinson being in play based on what Baldy had to say was interesting. Also, Dan... His point about Jalen Carter should not be ignored or dismissed. M- uh, Mike Mulligan, Mully, and I kind of disagree on Jalen Carter. I have said, as you know, I would probably take him off the board and be very cautious moving forward. Mully would go the other way and be likely to take him if he's at nine. Baldy made a good point. If he's still on the board, you've got to wonder why teams that need defensive tackle help like the Seahawks, like the Lions, like the Falcons have passed on him. And if he drops to you, there's probably a legitimate reason why he's dropping. And if you're Ryan Poles, you got to be very careful in the draft. You can't screw up in taking somebody who might screw up your draft. So I got a two-pronged response to that. The first thing I would say is I can't be guided by other teams' draft pre-draft reviews of players. Like you can't allow yourself to feel anxiety about what other people are doing and passing on a player. And so the Bears have to go into this draft 100% comfortable with their research, 100% comfortable with their assessment and evaluation of the player and be ready to react if and when he's available at number nine. This, the second part of that, that conversation is that you know, you and I talked about this on on the score earlier in the week that this isn't a yes or no vote on Jalen Carter if he's available at number nine. It's whether he's the best option for you based on the players that are on your board available to you at number nine. And there may be a situation where you say, yeah, we really love Jalen Carter, the, 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 the player. We have some questions about uh, character. We have some questions about how he's going to handle the off the field maturity that we're going to ask him to do. And by the way, there's two or three other prospects here that are going to help us sleep better at night. And we know that they're also going to be really good players in this league. We think that Peter Skaronsky is going to be a, a dependable professional for a decade or longer. We think that Nolan Smith can be a chess piece in our defense. And so we're just going to steer down this lane, not necessarily voting no to Jalen Carter, but just deciding in this moment, in this moment of truth that we've got an option that, that helps us feel better inside. And ultimately that's, that's just what it's going to come down to. I think that sounds really 
good and rational. But I also think that there, if there is a consensus that Jalen Carter talent-wise is on top of many draft boards, maybe even yours, then what you just said probably is more rationalization than real, isn't it? Because if he is the best player, you would take him without any qualms just from a football perspective. But I don't think you're making a purely a football decision when you're, you're drafting not. ninth. So that's what I you're mean. You're not. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to point out what Brian Baldinger had to talk about I thought was interesting was his favoring of Darnell Wright from Tennessee, yeah. the right tackle. You asked him to – the four guys, Broderick Jones, Darnell Wright, Peter Skronsky, and Paris Johnson Jr., who I am still imprisoned by that moment, and I still think <laughs> that I'm going to stay consistent, that I would probably give him a slight edge, even though, let me tell you, the local guy made good storyline is really gaining momentum, and I'm my heart is struggling with my head right now. But what was your response or reaction, Dan, to him – Brian Baldinger, somebody watches a lot of tape who knows offensive line play as well as anybody who is in the analysis business. He said that Darnell Wright might be the guy that the Bears would be best off drafting at number nine if they're going offensive tackle. Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, it's it's an ear catcher. You know, it, it makes you think a little bit longer because I think for a while we looked at this as kind of a three-man race to be the, the top offensive tackle in this draft. And now Darnell Wright, late in the process, has gotten a lot of praise from a lot of spots in league circles, including here just a few minutes ago with Baldy. And, you know, Will Anderson was the first guy who's – endorsement of Darnell Wright kind of caught you back at the combine when he said he was the best offensive lineman I faced last year, wasn't able to do much against him. And Tennessee erupted against that Alabama defense for, I think, 49 or for 50 points in that game. So you have something there that is catching people's eye. And, you know, recently, I think you've heard more and more kind of buzz about, OK, this could be something that the Bears consider. Uh, there's also kind of this sentiment on if you feel like this offensive tackle class is good, uh, with those four guys and you have the ability to kind of maneuver around and maybe drop back two, three, four picks and have the, the sense that there's going to be one of those guys there for you. Go ahead and do it. Now, as you and I always talk about, the idea of moving back always sounds great. Somebody's got to be willing to come up and take your pick. And there's got to be someone there at number nine that someone is motivated to come grab. But that's going to be fascinating. I think just watching that entire offensive tackle market play out in those first two hours of the draft. Okay, before we wrap this up, anything else about what Baldy had to say stand out to you? He was really good with his analysis. He has really studied this draft uh, this season with all the prospects available. Well, look, I, you know, I, I, it's always imperative that we talk about the quarterback position. And so you hear the praise of Bryce Young and the, the, the lack of, um, you, you know, fear that he has about who Bryce Young will be as an NFL quarterback. And then you hear the belief in Justin Fields, which I think obviously this audience is going to, 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 to slurp up, you know, don't even throw the soup spoon out and just take the bowl and, and drink the whole thing like that, you know? And, and so like, you know, you have a guy there that, that has belief in, in um, the direction Justin's going needs to see more, but sees the, the potential for him to go there. And just him saying what he thinks 2023 could be for Justin Fields is definitely attention getting. Good stuff. That was a fun interview with Brian Baldinger. And again, his NFL draft show, the Odyssey NFL draft show will be Thursday night, beginning six o'clock central, along with the huddle in, uh, in the huddle co-host, Jason Lockenfora. That wraps it up for this episode of the Take the North podcast. Download, listen, subscribe, give us some feedback, 
Talk to us on Twitter. You can at Dan Wiederer, at Dan Wiederer, or you can at me, at David Haw, but I would prefer that you at Dan Wiederer <laughs> because he has been more wrong than I have this offseason. And you can talk to us about whatever you want, draft confessions, by the, the, hey, the ChicagoTribune.com story we talked about. You need to get a, a look at that because Brad Biggs and Dan Wiederer did a great job of the, a deep dive into past NFL drafts. We will be back here on Monday or Tuesday next week. It could be a crazy week depending yeah. on what goes on, but we'll be here to talk about it all on the Take the North podcast, on, on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast, and you can watch us on the 670 Scores YouTube page. Our chances of being wrong are going down. We've had a good week here at Take the North between Daniel Jeremiah and Baldy. You know, I feel like the knowledge here has been, uh, I feel smarter at the end of the week, and I'm glad we had those guys. I'm sitting up straighter, just like you said, just like he did when he was talking about Devin Witherspoon. That was really fun. Anyway, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week on the Take the North podcast. Great talk. See you out there.